From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Cofield and Company. John Von Tobel is the company. Demond running the show here in the Finley Toyota Studios. Busy day. We'll follow up Game Five, which couldn't have made John Von Tobel happy of the uh, NBA Finals with uh, his Celtics money. That was not a good uh, late third quarter and early fourth. That was a freaking disaster. So we'll get into that. We've got a ton of NFL uh, NFL to get into. We also apparently have reports out there that uh, VGK has hired a new coach after, what, about four and a half, five weeks mm-hmm. since they let go of Pete DeBoer. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So we'll build this as the show goes along, but uh, right out of the gates, VGK has apparently hired a coach in Bruce Cassidy. Veteran coach. I think that's probably the right move, considering it's a veteran team. And we hear a lot about these veteran coaches are like, eh, don't have a real love of playing young guys. This is a team of now. I mean, unless they shake up the roster and all of a sudden they're like half young, half old. I think they're they're going to be a team of now. So this is a dude who, with the Bruins, made the Stanley Cup Finals a couple of years back. You know, six of six in recent years in making the playoffs. And obviously uh, you got to get on the dance floor, which the Golden Knights did not this year, John, which was uh, a massive disappointment. Injuries were part of it. Of course, they also kind of built a roster and traded for guys who were off injured, and they traded for a guy who was out when they got him in Jack Eichel. So they've got to fix some situations. But uh, if Cassidy is in line with Kelly McCrimmon, with George McPhee, with Bill Foley, I think this is a good thing. Uh, I would say so, too. I think you hit all the points on the head properly. Cassidy, by all accounts, is one of those guys who very much likes his veterans. And depending on (laughs) where you read the reports – um, almost to a certain extent, dislikes some of the young guys in a locker room. Uh, and that would work in, in a veteran-laden locker room, as you mentioned. And success is there. You mentioned the Stanley Cup run. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Bruins under him, second-highest points percentage during his five full seasons. So there's been success on the ice outside of just one Stanley Cup appear, uh, finals appearance. So you'd think it'd work. But I think you hit on the most important part. You know, when, right Before I came in here, I was reading your piece on The Athletic about the uh, valley that was growing between him and his general manager as it went along in terms of how they wanted to handle things. so And that has been something we've discussed. One of the issues that is what this now third head coach in what will be six seasons for the Vegas Golden mm-hmm. Knights, yeah. uh, the disconnect between general manager, front office, and head coach has been there for what seems. Each of the last two regimes can't have that again, and that seems to be part of the reason why Cassidy didn't work out. In yeah, I think one of the things we're learning since in Las Vegas on Sports Talk Radio, we weren't covering – NHL day-to-day, there was really no need to. Mm. This is a sport that changes coaches. Like, more so than any of you know the major sports, wherever you have the NHL ranked, the other sports don't do this. Like, it's shocking in baseball the last couple of weeks to see your guy, Joe Madden, with the uh, the stupid Mohawk desperation <laughs> effort. And Joe Girardi go bye-bye 50 games into the season. It doesn't, doesn't happen, but, man, NHL, they, they change things over. So, today's show is going to, a lot of it's going to be about Change, right? So VGK is very much into change. They're, they're hyper-aggressive. They change the roster. They change the coaches. They haven't changed management, which this time around, if it doesn't work, I don't know what happens with the two managers because Bill Foley ain't firing himself. But this is a town that's used to change. Now, this fan base wasn't happy with the change because they fell in love with the misfits and 
and Gerard Gallant and some of those players who, you know, eventually, uh, you know, big stars on the team at, at, the, at that time, like Nate Schmidt, went bye-bye. But it's a town of change, and we're seeing it the last couple of days. I don't know if you saw the photos of Harmon and Koval right there by Topgolf mm-hmm. and the old drink nightclub. It's, it was ice most recently, but it's been closed forever. Uh, they started knocking it down because that is the piece of land. Again, believe it or not, folks, Harmon and Koval, because there's a giant piece of land there. I don't know how much of that you know land they got. At one point, um, you know, it was designated for a casino project going way back with uh, like George Clooney and W Hotels. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that corner, F1 bought it because they want you know permanent a permanent home, whatever they're going to build there. They bought that piece of land for $240 million. They got a lot of money. It's a big money event coming here in 2023. We expect it to be here in 24, 25 as well, or 2024 and 2025. So they're making a big investment in town. But, you know, like so many places, John, you've been here forever. I've Mm -hmm. been here for coming up on 27 years. You know, most of the company on the show has been here forever. Hell, some of our, you know, guests, you know, Justin Watkins, born and raised here. Um, we've seen things change over the years. And it got me thinking for a poll question today. You can go up to ESPN Las Vegas and we'll retweet all of this on our accounts on Twitter. There's so many clubs, local bars. I didn't do restaurants, but technically you can kind of squeeze in some restaurants because yep. bars have food. So we're asking up on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas, what's your favorite place that's gone bye-bye? Um, the drink was not one of my favorite places. Okay. It was okay. I've it was never, not, never that, been. that was really not my cup of tea. Um, we named three places and left an other choice on there. So the three places we put in were, and this is more like kind of since I've been here, eh, one is a little bit of a push, but Dave Koken, we used to talk about Dave going there all the time. And, but it was one of the first you know, big nightclubs in Vegas and really around the country. Uh, we have on the list the Shark Club, the Beach, which is right over there by the convention center. Not beach, anymore. The beach. And the circle bar at the Hard Rock. And I've got, I'll tweet out, a bu- I'm a big local bar guy. Mm. So there's a ton of local bars that have been scooped up by the uh, the slot halls. There's so many good local bars that have gone bye-bye. So you can go up to ESPN Las Vegas on Twitter. And again, what Vegas bar club of the past, close now, do you miss the most? Some of our crew has already chimed in. Adam Candy threw in the T-Bird Lounge. There was at least two of those. Awesome spot for Stromboli's. So Stromboli, like you're a big guy. A Stromboli is as wide as your chest. You got like a Belichick chest too. I know you always talk about the Belichick. He's he's a stout man. He's got a big chest. Belichick would look at the uh, the the T bird Stromboli and go, "Okay, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this in one sitting." So anyway. Get in the conversation up there. I got a lot of local bars too. There's a, I, I, I was thinking today, and it just it started it started rushing back. I'm like, man, there's so many places I miss. Now we talk about change. I don't think the Celtics, if they lose this series, are going to have mass, massive changes on the roster. But uh, they're going to have to rethink what the hell just happened in, in this series. And it goes back to this game to me. You know, if they bow out in Game Six, or they can't get it done back on the road in Game Seven, can't lose a game like this. I mean, this is. This is a game you look back on. Say the Celtics don't ever win a title with this group. And the Warriors win this one and win another. Right? And it adds to the Steph legacy. Steph was not good. Steph was not good. And the Warriors, for much of the third quarter, were not good. And they've killed in this series, John. Mm -hmm. 
And the Celtics blew it. They blew it on so many fronts. Uh, they did, and I think I start with uh, you start with the key statistic for Boston, which has been throughout this entire postseason. So, twenty-two points off of eighteen turnovers for Boston last night. The turnovers again kill them. They're now one in seven in eight postseason games in which they've committed sixteen uh, turnovers or more. How about this, Steve? This is one of my favorite stats that I've, I've read since uh, that game last night. The Warriors have one hundred and three points off of turnovers in this series so far. That would be the th- uh, let's see. Most by any team to the first five finals games since 1992. And that was the Bulls in that series. And it's also the third most that we've seen through five games in a final series. It's massive. It's the turnover. Who's it'll- the biggest culprit? I think it's all of them. All I, think, of them. Doesn't, I think Tatum set the record for the most in a series yeah. already. No, 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 no. In, in a or, postseason. He's oh, got, in a postseason uh, yeah, total. Yeah, yeah, so he got yeah, 95? Yeah, Something 95 like for the entire postseason. Holy crap. And, well, and it's all of them, though. Like Marcus Smart driving wildly to the basket. You know, we talk about this all the time when we talk about college hoops, right? One of the things that college players do a lot is they'll drive into the paint with no mission, and then they'll get stuck there, and they'll be like, ooh, yeah, what do I do here? And it leads to a turnover block shot because they'll try to wildly go up at the rim. The Celtics go, do, they do that all the time. And Marcus Smart, what he'll do is he'll drive to the basket, Flip it behind his head, and he has no idea who's behind him. He gets um, he gets caught a lot yep. just driving into the lane, jumping, and then like, okay, I'm if I can find someone, I'm going to do it. But then it's a fall away from like 11 feet. Like, dude, you're you're not an efficient offensive player when you do that. And it if it's Steph to, doing, you know, floater, yeah, okay, but not Marcus Smart. And it leads to some really nice looking passes, but it also leads to some terrible looking turnovers. And like that's been their number one problem: the turnovers. It has killed them. They are um, 13 and two. In the games in which they have committed 15 or fewer turnovers, they're one and seven in the games in which they've committed 16 or more. And like I've been getting a lot of flack because I keep using that thing that you know the term you know killing themselves, shooting themselves in the foot, whatever you want to use, because it sounds like I'm not giving the Warriors enough credit. But when you go to 18 turnovers last night and 22 points allowed off of that, when you talk about 10 missed free throws, shooting 60% from the free throw line, missing your first 12 three point attempts, but many of them coming off of wide open looks. I mean, who else are you going to look at besides yourself when you're talking about that, right? I want to break this down a little more. And I also want to get into the hero of the game, Wiggins, in just a couple minutes. But early in the show today, because we always talk betting, we're going to talk to Sam Paniotovich towards the 5 o'clock hour. MVP. But before the baseball game start, I also wanted to get your take on your betting preferences. And these numbers are all provided by William Hill Race and Sportsbooks. 50-plus locations around town. Open that mobile account, right? Are you hedging? That's the first question. NBA Finals, you have the Celtics at a rich number. I mean, what do you do now? GSW is minus 380 for the series. I mean, well, you could go. They're going to be underdogs in game six, right? So I can bet the Warriors underdog, like money line price uh, in game six if I'm going to hedge that way. Um, you know, take a little bit off of it. If they win, go to game seven. Take more off of it if I want. But i got to tell you, I think more and more as I've gone along in my sports betting, you know, acumen and the more I've learned or whatnot, I think I'm kind of more in the camp of like team no hedge. Really? Yeah, it's hedging is very personal, right? And it's a good number and all that, but it's not life changing money. And I also. Yeah, I was going to say, is a a ticket of a certain size, then it makes it worth it. You know, if you have tens of thousands of dollars on the line. Correct. So like for I don't me, think you do. No, <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> I'll make that uh, assumption in this case. I'll tell you this. I'd be in a lot worse mood if I, if I had tens of thousands Especially of dollars. After on. last night. Right. Um, so I, no, I kind of think like the other. So was it the PGA Championship? I had Will Zalatoris at 47-1 to, to win it, right? He makes it to the playoff. I didn't hedge that. 
because I just I, I I believe in the ticket that I have. I, the reason I have it is because I think they're going to win. Right. And so, yeah, I don't think I'm going to hedge. Game six is up at William Hill. Celtics four total is two hundred one and a half. Uh, hockey Stanley Cup Finals go tomorrow. I already bet the Lightning plus one fifty. Abs are minus one seventy. What are you doing with the series? Anything? I mean, I would think that a Lightning team that is going for their third cup would be a very tantalizing play at plus one fifty. Um, considering the momentum they have coming into it. And by some accounts, sharp betters really do like this lightning team with the way that they play. Uh, that would be the side for me, especially when you consider the respect that the lightning have had from a power rating standpoint each of the last two seasons. But I will say, I would think it takes a very special team to be a favorite over this Tampa Bay lightning squad. And Colorado seems to be that really special team. They're really freaking deep. How much baseball are you betting daily? I'm getting more into it lately. Now that the basketball season's coming to an end, uh, a little bit more lately. What do you look for? So for my my strategy is I'm a big on handicapping pitchers, and I'm big on looking at their like their underlying numbers. So Fangraphs great free site, ERA, expected ERA, fielding independent, and looking at the differences between those for pitchers and seeing if there's some really big deltas that you can try to play into. Right. So like for example, if a guy's got like a 280 ERA but a 470 fielding independent. You know that he's kind of pitching above his head. Market might be a little high on him, so you can go ahead and play against him, depending on who the pitching, is, the pitcher matchup is on the other end. Right. And I will say too, keep an eye out for those because you generally see the line move in those directions, right? You call it like the fifth line move if you want to, but generally the market will move in those directions, and that's my main strategy when I look at it. So baseball, I'll play three to four games a day, sometimes two, sometimes just one if I don't like anything. So William Hill number today, Padres one thirty two. As a favorite against the Cubs, it's Manaya against Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks has been super inconsistent mm-hmm. lately, and uh, you know, give me the better team with a little price there. I'm rolling the dice on the Rays, plus one ninety against the Yankees. Garrett Cole off a disastrous start. Yankees have been hot as hell, but if you give me a, a good team with a plus one ninety, and like I said, it's a roll of the dice. That's a big price. Games I looked at Atlanta and Washington to see if Washington with their uh, Rookie pitcher was worth it at plus 210. Not, not, not really I, good AAA I, numbers. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not a highly touted guy. So, Although on the Atlanta side, John, Ozzie Albies is probably out months now with a broken foot. Well, oh, that he's already on the 60-day IL. And did you see – so I don't know if Juan Soto is going to be in the lineup. Did you see what happened to him? Apparently he banged his either his knee or his side on the bench in the dugout. Didn't finish the rest of the game yesterday, and we don't oh know if he's going to be in the lineup today. Right, you can get Washington a plus 210 at William Hill, and then some other games I looked at but did not play. Oakland plus 200, but they're just so inconsistent. Uh, but uh, to me, I know Pavetta's been good for Boston, but Nick Pavetta at minus 220 is bordering on insanity. And then the one I really strongly consider, and I can still play it, the William Hill number on this one is Noah Syndergaard and the Angels plus 165. Angels have been in rough shape of late. And on the other side, you look at it, you're like, oh, Dodgers and Gonsolin. He's not that good. He's their best pitcher this year. He's yep. been unbelievable. Would you fire on Noah Syndergaard? So I don't know because here's my thing. I considered it. My question is with Syndergaard. So if you look at his home away splits, he's been terrible on the road. He's got like a 475 fielding independent. I think he's uh, opposing hitters are hitting like 343 against him. We saw him go to New York and just get absolutely smacked around by the Yankees. But I wonder if it's is it like an East Coast thing or is it like playing specifically in Angel City? Because you're not going anywhere, really, right? You're playing. It's a freeway series against the Dodgers. But if you're staying in the same climate as at home, so I would think that maybe he could perform relatively well in a park that would benefit him a little bit. Um, but that's the the length of it. I feel like it would be center guard or pass. All those betting numbers today, courtesy of uh, William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Get the app.
I'm telling you. I put money in, oh, years ago, and I never touched. I've just been building it ever since. I never make deposits. But anyway, you, you can play on the app all the time. You can do in-play. It's great. Really convenient. William Hill Race and Sportsbooks. Giveaway time. 364-1100. Let's give away a pair of tickets to see uh, three ice hockey, three-on-three hockey with goalies uh, at the Orleans Arena coming up on the 18th. So that's right around the corner of this weekend. Six teams, six skaters, and that goalie. Uh, you got a Hall of Fame coach running each team. For more information, you can go to 3ice.com. But right now we got a pair of tickets. Damon will hook you up at 364-1100. Caller 7, caller 7, caller 7. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Wiggins down the lane, rises, and hammers with the right. A little Air Canada as he spikes it down. A 15-point lead. Who is this guy? They call him Maple Jordan, which is really stupid. Andrew Wiggins, big night last night. I know John loves to bring up all the Wiggins haters and doubters. We'll get to that in a second. 26 and 13, Warriors win. Celtics just fall apart in the fourth quarter. There really has been a theme in this series. This team's just it's melting down at the end of the third or in the fourth. By the way, Mike Breen on the call there. Mike Breen is probably going to go down as the like least famous, really good announcer. In TV history. You think he's least famous? I don't think I don't when people bring up best announcer list, they I think they go to football. I never hear Mike Breen or I rarely hear Mike Breen mentioned. Right now it's the end, you know. I, I think he was missed. I like Mark Jones too. I actually thought he did a decent job early mm-hmm. in the series. Did Breen miss the first game Sounds and the bad. second game? Or I know he had COVID. Yeah. Um two. but like for me, I, I think Mike Breen's awesome. Mike Breen was actually one of the first God, I'm old, was one of the first guys. I listened to as a sports talk fan when I was like 12. He actually did sports talk before he got into play-by-play. He did NBC. This was before sports talk radio, John, even existed. Before Mike and the Mad Dog. 24-7 sports talk radio. Sports talk radio existed, but 24-7 WFAN, but uh, old NBC radio, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm old. Uh, Mike Breen did sports talk, but he's turned into, he's freaking great announcer. His calls are awesome. He gets excited at the right times. And last night, you should get excited about Wiggins because a lot of people wrote the guy off. What's the Nick Wright line when oh, they, they got were, him? They were never going to go back to the NBA Finals. They were done. They were done. Toast because they signed a guy like Andrew Terrible Wiggins. move. Yep. That's Look, I, we say this, I think, a lot, and I think Wiggins is a really good example of this. Guys like Lonzo Ball are a really good example of it. Stop calling these guys busts like five years into their NBA career when they're like 23 yep. and they have so much more room well, for so, growth. So many people who watch the NBA as casual fans, they they watch the draft. They don't know who the guys are. Yeah. Then the guys are around the league for, like you said, three and four years, and then they, they don't realize that when they were drafted, they were 18, 19, 20 years old. Well, the, also, the unfair part is when guys like Andrew Wiggins are slugged the second LeBron James, right? That's that's a little unfair for him. He doesn't put those expectations upon himself. He expects to be a very good player, but we, the collective, uh, go out and say, that guy's going to be the next greatest player of all time. And then when he doesn't live up to those expectations, all of a sudden it's out, ah, bust, he stinks. But it speaks it speaks to it, man. Like Wiggins, he has been incredible in this series. Incredible. Yesterday in the first half where those Warriors' possessions were dying down with nothing, and it was like, hey, Andrew Wiggins, turn around, contested, two-point jumper, hit. Another one, turn around, contested, two-point jumper, hit. He was great. And in game four, we, we got wrapped up. Like, like I got wrapped up in the Kevon Looney stuff and how good he was in those minutes and Draymond getting benched. Very quietly in game four, who has 17 and 16? Andrew Wiggins. 
he's he's been brilliant for him in this series. He he if you're if you're making the list of guys who are important for the Warriors in this series, he's number two. I think it's extremely clear that he's number two. He's also not going to sniff Finals MVP, so stop bringing that up. What's his number? I think he's like seventeen to one or something like that. Everybody keeps. What if, asking, it, go, what if it goes to seven? No, no. Steph no, is ordinary. No, they no, win, and no. you get twenty-five no. points a game. No, from Wiggins. No, and no. Wiggins plays awesome defense. No, like completely slows no. down rotating on you, the big three. I'll tell you how Andrew. Wiggins, I got you. I didn't say no that time. Uh, no, I'll tell you how Andrew Wiggins <laughs> wins Finals MVP. This is how he does it. He scores every single point for the Golden State Warriors on Thursday, and they win. Yeah, Steph's got too much momentum. Right. But, you know, we talked about Wiggins in the middle of the playoffs when we started seeing him switch off on point guards, mm-hmm. you know, and having to cover, like, John Morant before he got hurt. He's insanely versatile. Yep. For a guy that big, to be able to play defense on that many players and positions is awesome. And, and again, going back to when he first came out, and even when he was at Kansas, a lot of people talked, to him, uh, talked about him as being supremely talented, but kind of did not have that dog in him. He's got the dog in him. He's right. a competitor. And, I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm telling you, when he, even when he was at Kansas, people are like, "My God, this guy is unbelievable." Um, I'm not saying he's Chris Wood, but kind of, he kind of he got the Chris Wood treatment, like you know Wood did with UNLV fans. He got that from Kansas fans. And when he first got in the NBA, people were like, "What's with this guy? Why doesn't he bust his ass? Why he doesn't look like he's working hard?" He works hard. He does. And when Jimmy Butler says he likes him, which is what he told Draymond Green, I think you, you've got a really good vote of confidence from a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's a dog. Andrew Wiggins, he's not an underdog. He makes $32 million. While the Warriors were down these last couple of years, winning no games, they kept spending money because they've got it. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio. They re-signed Draymond Green. They re-signed Steph Curry. They re-signed Kevon Looney. They kept Andrew Wiggins. And boy, did it show up tonight. Andrew Wiggins with a supreme moment in his career. Cofield, JVT, BBW on the uh, comment there. Big Brian Windhorst. We'll get to that. You don't have to emphasize the big so much. Well, I want to explain that there's <laughs> lots. Obviously, there's lots of re- lots of reasons to use BBW, and we haven't really been talking about Brian Windhorst. I feel like he. I don't know. I feel like he disappeared. He like he's still big. I don't mean size wise, but he was he was a megastar when LeBron was on. I mean, on, on the top of the heap. As somebody who covers like the league part time at the yeah. other gig, I consume a lot of his content. He's got a really yeah. good podcast. Yeah, you actually, told me that, so. and you said uh, you guys get him on all the time. So Brian Renhorst on good head of hair, an evil empire theme, which we'll hit on in the five o'clock hour. I don't know where that came from. Um, I'm not saying all of golf or all the golfers are the evil empire, but they kind of are. I love what's going on right now. Just. Super rich guys from the PGA getting really pissed off at like insanely rich guys from the Saudi golf league. And then rich golfers getting mad at other rich golfers. Good. Like I, it's like, it's so upper crust and so far above me, I can but I like, I like looking up and going, boy, you guys fighting. This is dynamite. And listen, Phil got in a lot of trouble for what he said. I kind of understand as time went along. Yeah. I kind of you know, try to put aside how much I can't stand Phil Mickelson and I understand what he was saying about the Saudis and what he was trying to do, and I don't believe you know growing golf is the number one goal. I wish they would just come out and say, I don't care about any of that stuff that the Saudis did. I see it, and it's pretty scary, but I want the money. So Phil Mickelson plays in London last week. Does okay, right? He's got his guaranteed money, just like uh, DeChambeau, Greg Norman, right? 
so he shows up at the U.S. Open. He's not banned. PGA can say, you know, they're, they're no longer members, but the, most of the majors, it's like, doesn't matter. So he shows up for the U.S. Open. I, I don't know if he wasn't ready for questions, but you'll hear it here. A reporter, Christine Brennan from USA Today, is like, well, you know what? There's a whole 9-11 angle here tied to the Saudis. It's, it's you know, it didn't go away, right? Kind of a big moment in our history. Pretty gross. And Christine Brennan comes out and has some information, and let's see how Phil reacts. Phil, Christine Brennan, hi there. Uh, as uh, you know, you've been criticized by many people, as you referred to. Uh, New York Post, Brian Wacker, reported that the 9-11 families sent you and others a letter alluding, of course, to Osama bin Laden and the 15 of 19 hijackers that the Saudis, of course, sent, and um, that they say now you are a partner with them, and you appear to be pleased in your business with them. Terry Strada is the person, of course, who wrote this letter, and her husband got on the, the plane in Boston that flew into the, uh, into the World Trade Center. Um, and they say the deaths of your fellow Americans. No, I've read all that. Is there okay. a question in there? Yes, there is. Oh, oh Phil, are we bothering wow. you? Yeah. We're talking 9-11, bruh. This isn't going fast enough. Are you serious? That's incredible. Now you're annoyed, you prick. Can I just say two really quickly? Uh, so I read the comments and the quote from Mickelson. Hearing it is so much better because I they obviously don't include that little exchange. Oh yeah, when it comes. To oh yeah, the is there a question? Yeah. yeah, there is. Wow, I'm getting to it. I'm laying out the story. You're gonna stand there and listen to it. All right. The family sent you a letter. So Christine Brennan finishes up. How do you explain to them, not to us, but to them, what you've decided to do? I would say to um, the Strada family. I would say to everyone that um, has lost loved ones, lost friends in 9-11, that I have deep, deep empathy for them. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I um, have the deepest of th sympathy and empathy for them. Okay. Phil Mickelson's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He's apparently due like $200 million from the Saudis. Bro, you got to get a PR person. Like, you got to prep for this situation. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we heard what he genuinely thinks, which is he didn't think about it because he stumbled through that. That was absurd. And I, I still, I, I'm guessing there's some sort of non-disparagement. You know, you can't say certain things about the Saudis or they'll pull the money. And like, so what then? You're rich. What's the risk? Unless they're going to you know, send someone to shoot you. And then I guess all of this is, you know, realize that it's, it's true. They're horrible. Um, but can, can someone come out and, like, can Mickelson be prepped and go, listen, I'm getting a lot of money from the Saudis. I have agreed to give $20 million of it to whatever. You know, victim assistant, family assistant, something. Like, turn around some of the money. Why? It's less for him. Well, and that, that's the bottom line, right? And and instead, so instead of going, I have the deepest sympathies, just go, you know what? I really don't care. It was 20 years ago. I didn't really look into it. Yeah, I know they did it, but I think they're better people now. You know, these things happen. If he wants to play whataboutism, he could do that. He's going to give himself hot, more hot water. But, like, bro, you're completely unprepared for this question. You sound like an ass, and no one believes that you have the deepest sympathies. So you're right. I agree. Like it's, it's incredible that you're not ready for something like this because he was blindsided, obviously. He was getting irritated with it. But again, I go back to why this is so weak by guys like Mickelson. 
What did we talk about last week? The debut event. What's Mickelson doing? Walking up to the money, money, money song and play it right and wearing the black master's jersey with yep. the logo blacked out so he can yep. wear it on purpose in front of a camera to flip the middle finger to the PGA and everybody else. And, you know, it's bad guy. It's bad boy Phil Mickelson when he doesn't have to answer to anything in any way whatsoever. But then when you come back, it's this. Like, again, there's no real rage here. It's just, just say, say it. it. Yeah. Just say, like you said, you know, 9-11 didn't affect me. It didn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting paid a lot of money. And you know what? I'm sorry your family lost their life. But I want $25 million, and I want to add it to my bottom line. Because <laughs> because the, at the end of the day, everybody in this room and everybody listening to my voice knows that's the answer. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen? Headline, Phil Mickelson doesn't care about 9-11 victims. That's pretty much already out there already. So just go ahead and say it. Then the other golfers are getting testy. Brooks Kepka, you know, who didn't run for the money. He was getting all pissy because people are asking him about the Saudi live golf. He said, I don't understand. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. I legitimately don't get it. I'm tired of the conversations. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry we're bothering you about this. It's, you know what? It's once again proof that, and I I don't want to hammer the golf media, but it's more proof that it is a sport that really has never been covered. Mm -hmm. And when there are controversies, people bristle at it. It's also the reason why, as the guys go around the golf course, like, you know, we just saw, what, a week ago with Draymond Green and Clay Thompson as they're, you know, chanting F Draymond, right? How vicious fans can be at a basketball game or a football game. I mean, literally, we have multiple stories in the PGA. These guys are so upper crust, so untouched by any controversy, any difficulty in life that, you know, was it Patrick Reed who was like, I can hear a blade of grass. The change in the pocket, You're remember? shaking your pocket with the change. I can hear your phone clicking. Like, what are you... I mean, I, I'm going to say it. Like, where did you grow up? Who are you around? We know there's no adversity in their life. Mm-hmm. So they, they, a lot of these guys, they're, they're great athletes, right? High-level accomplishers. Right. I'm not going to sit here and debate. This, if God, yeah. Well, but whatever. It's still hand-eye. John Daly. But things have gone so well for them. Anytime someone pushes back on them, they're like, whoa, whoa. What is this? It's a serious issue for a lot of people. Now, John and I have already said, I don't care. If you don't care, I don't care. Take the money, but just friggin' say you don't care and all you want is money. This sports update is brought to you by Finley Volvo Cars, Las Vegas' fastest-growing luxury brand, putting safety first since 1927. And the Vegas Golden Knights just announced that Bruce Cassidy has been hired as their new head coach. The Las Vegas Aces will play tomorrow in Dallas at 10 a.m. against the Wings. Jackie Young expected to be back in the lineup for the Aces. Early start tomorrow, huh? Mm-hmm. 10 a.m. Aces and Wings. All right, let's get into some golf. U.S. Open. We know all the controversy. We were just talking about Phil and the Saudis and now all the other golfers who didn't go and run to the Saudis for the money. They got to answer all the questions, so there's a little bit of uh, angst going into this thing and Boy, oh boy, Phil should feel real comfortable, huh? But let's get into the, the betting angles on this, the course. Cam Rogers is our guy from uh, Believe Podcast. Helps us preview the majors. John Von Tobel's here. It's Cofield. Cam, how you doing, buddy? Hey, what's going on? Great to be with you guys. Happy U.S. Open week. So, tell us about Brookline, because you did a great job of uh, outlining the uh, the course last time around for majors. So tell us about the course, and then that, as I always say, that's the first thing we need to know about before we start deep diving, handicapping, and finding winners. 
Absolutely. The Country Club back for the first time since 1988. Curtis Strange beat Nick Faldo in the U.S. Open, then also staged the U.S. Opens in 63 and 13. It's a par 70, 7,200 yards, so not typical of a U.S. Open layout. Usually we're talking about a big ballpark with crazy thick, luscious rough, which is certainly the case this week, but not to the degree of, say, last year at Torrey Pines or Wingfoot back in 2020. So I think that's going to bring in a lot of different golfers to play here this week to contend. Really small greens, though. Second smallest greens in major championship history. Only two par fives, so the birdie opportunities are limited. Obviously, the case is usually that for a U.S. Open, but we're talking about a lot of uneven lines, blind approach shots, odd angles. So it's going to be an interesting test, a different type of test than, say, Torrey Pines last year going to require a lot of creativity and a lot of research, if you will, as you go through these uh, practice rounds. So I saw you put out your rankings at Mr. Rogers 99. You have Shalfley 1, guys like uh, Tony Finau, a little lower down the list, Rory's on there, Spieth, uh, Daniel Berger. So explain how you come up with your top 10 going into the Open. Yeah, absolutely. So Xander Shoffley is my guy to win it here this week, simply built for U.S. Open. Five top tens in five U.S. Open appearances. Only Bobby Jones back in 1920 has a longer streak. The ball striking has been fantastic. The best fanned player in this field. And that's very important because this week a lot of these greens are guarded by bunkers. That's the main defense here at the country club. Xander Shoffley knows how to get out of trouble in that regard. And so, really, when I'm talking about my top ten here this week, I'm talking about escapability, right? Because these greens are so small, I'm handicapping this tournament in a sense that everybody is going to miss green, right? So this is going to turn into a wedge fest, a short game fest, a putting fest, if you will. So that brings in somebody like a Sunjay M, who's number one in this field in scrambling. He's number two in my power ranking. John Rahm's short game has been rapidly improving. He's number four in my power ranking. Tony Finau is number five, seventh and strokes gained around the green over the last 24 rounds. So you see my logic here. you got to have the all-around game this week, especially around these greens, to save yourselves for par. How do you balance, when you're talking about handicapping a course like this, uh, like between recency bias, like not recency bias, recent form, when you're talking about guys coming into mm-hmm. a tournament like the U.S. Open, what's the balance there for you when you talk about guys who come in in pretty good form as opposed to guys who might not be in great form, but their game might suit the course a little bit better? Yeah, I'm certainly weighing recent form more so than anything else here this week. Each of the last 10 U.S. Open winners had a top eight finish within their last five PGA Tour events. So, In terms of any major championship, you don't just show up, find your game, and win, unless you're Phil Mickelson last year at Kiowa because he came out of absolute nowhere. But for the most part, you show some signs of playing well leading up to that particular event at a major championship, and certainly the case here at the U.S. Open. I will also note that major championship success in general is important. If you only have, like, one top 20 at a major and you're coming in with blistering good form, I'm probably going to stay off you this week because I want to see you perform well on a major championship stage. Somebody like a Will Zalatoris burst onto the scene very early at the majors, runner-up at the Masters back in 2021. He was runner-up at the PGA Championship this year, built for major championships in my opinion. So some guys have that major championship build, and some guys just struggle really hard, like maybe somebody like a Billy Horschel, somebody along those lines. 
So you kind of mentioned some of the, the numbers, the statistics you're looking at for certain golfers, how their game matches up with a course like this. Are there any golfers that are pretty popular in terms of name or that you've heard bandied about for this tournament that you don't think are suited for a course like this, a tournament like this, and that you might actually look to fade in certain matchups if they're available? Yeah, here's the thing. When you talk about a major championship, you have to take a stand at the top of the board, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And so, you know, somebody like a Patrick Cantlay is somebody that I am off here this week. His major championship resume, guys, certainly take a look at it before the tournament starts because it's not very good. It doesn't stand out to me at all. I would rather see him rack up some top tens at majors before I actually put some hard-earned cash on him. So I'm off Patrick Cantlay. I'm also off Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland. Both these guys have been just okay so far in 2022, and the one thing that they lean on is their ball striking, which actually hasn't been as good as it typically is. And so when they're missing greens, their short game is horrible. So I think they are in for a rough week here at the country club. And then finally, Dustin Johnson, who really hasn't been playing great golf so far in 2022. He was top 10 barely at the live golf event last week when easily he should have been the favorite. Easily he should have won. And so he's also dealing with all of these live golf questions and what have you. So you have distractions factoring in there. So DJ, Morikawa, Victor Hovland, and Patrick Cantley. I'm off those guys this week. Cam Rogers up on Cofield and Company, host of Lock It In on uh, B-Leaf Podcast. He's their national golf and betting analyst. You can find all of his stuff, videos, and lots of good links and picks and rankings at Mr. Rogers 99 on Twitter. So you brought up Dustin Johnson. What is it going to be like at the Open for the guys who did bail on the PGA, played in that first Saudi live event? And in general, what do you think of you know guys like Phil and Dustin Johnson getting blasted? Yeah, you know, it's all a really interesting situation, and really it's a fascinating study right now because you're seeing a line being drawn, right, between legacy and morals and financial stability. We're talking about Phil Mickelson, who's in the twilight of his career. He's lost $40 million in gambling. It's not too surprising when somebody throws him $200 million guaranteed that he takes it. Dustin Johnson, sort of in the twilight of his career as well. He's getting up there in age. So you're seeing a theme here, right? Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, all of these guys, John and Ron, who are playing elite golf right now, want to stay on the PGA Tour, and rightfully so. And guys who are not playing well on the PGA Tour want to cash out and put their families up for financial stability the rest of their lives. So that's why Bryson went there. That's why Phil went there. That's why Dustin went there. So it really is a fascinating study right now about where these guys are putting their priorities. I don't really have an opinion either way because I don't make millions of dollars, so I have no idea to really put myself in that arena, if you will, and make a decision unless it was actually happening to me. But I will say it's a big storyline here this week. It's interesting that the USGA is allowing all of these live golfers to play this week. I did not expect that, but you know, good for them because, honestly, if you qualify to play for the U.S. Open, you should be able to play it. So it all really is just a big distraction for these live golfers. And honestly, from a handicapping perspective, I would fade all of them for the most part. Cam, let's be honest, too, right? These are all kind of like the jerks of the PGA Tour. Nobody really cares about <laughs> these guys from a personality standpoint. Yeah, Bryson sort of is that annoying guy on tour, and nobody likes Patrick Reed. And Phil Mickelson is not exactly well-liked within the PGA Tour fraternity, if you will. So... Yeah, I don't think anybody over at the PGA Tour is shedding a tear, let's put it that way. Cam Rogers with us. You have a couple of big tickets that you're rooting for. 
Yeah, you know, somebody like a Harold Varner III is a big-time sleeper here this week. I think he's so close to a PGA Tour breakthrough, top 10, key to green player, fourth in approach over the last 24 rounds. Keep an eye on him. His major championship success is not really there, but, you know, he'll soon build a resume. Webb Simpson as well, the top 20 at the PGA and has been really steady at U.S. Opens prior to a missed, to a missed cut last year. He was 8th, 16th, 10th, and 35th winner here at the U.S. Open back in 2012. So a couple of names for you there. Cam, what's coming up? I know you got a show going uh, live here in just a couple minutes, right? Yes, sir. Locking in with Cam Rogers, going live on SportsMap Radio. Really excited about it. I want you to tell people more about Believe and, and all the uh, hosts you've added because you got a ton of former athletes who are part of the pod, uh, podcast network. Yeah, absolutely, and we thank you for having them on on your show as well. So we are rapidly growing, and we have legends like Carl Banks and Eric Davis and Ike Taylor, Super Bowl champions, Hall of Famers like Rick Barry, hosting shows on our network. We're rapidly expanding our social media game as well, our YouTube content too. We're really pumped about the football season where we're going to have 32 NFL shows with 32 former NFL players. We're on SiriusXM as well. Now you can download our shows there, too. So really exciting to be a part of this ride here with Belief. Cam, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I know you got a busy schedule today. Appreciate you guys. Take care. Enjoy the week. There he is, Cam Rogers. Mr. Rogers99 up on Twitter. Um, as the Vegas betting network, VSIN. Have you guys gone down the rabbit hole? Because I saw this discussed a couple of days ago on social media okay. about Phil and his gambling debts as a way to explain away why a guy who's made hundreds of millions of dollars between golf winnings and endorsements needs to go and grab another. Again, it's none of my business, yeah. right? If you don't care, right, the Saudis don't bother you, you do what you want. But I, I find that one freaking fascinating because the estimates on what this guy has lost over the years, gambling-wise, like, he's rich. But is he looking at a hole where he still owes money to people where he's like, I, ain't gonna, I have to do anything I can to get some freaking money? Um, so, like, humans, Matt Humans and I, uh, my co-host, have personally not done it. I know, like, Mitch and Paul have on the morning show, Mitch Moss and Paul Howard. Um, and they've talked about it to a certain extent. I will say this, and I think this goes for sports gambling media as a whole, it's kind of gross when it comes to like the conversations around it because mm-hmm. some present it as like, oh, Phil, he's a gamer, man. Look at that. I think it's a sign of troublesome, like troubling gambling, you like, right? You know what I mean? Problem gambling as opposed to like some story about, look at this man. He's awesome. He flipped on one of the biggest gamblers in the world. Right. Do you realize what sort of peril he put himself in in that situation and also with the government? I mean, the story of him and Gary McCord. You know, signaling to each other about, you know, from the tower down to the green and, you know, like 20, yeah, 20, $20 bets on short putts. I mean, Phil is insane. 